0: So, today we're kicking off our Advent series, and we're looking at how God had Christmas in mind from the beginning. God had Christmas in mind from the beginning. That from the beginning, God had a promise plan that ran from the beginning of time till Jesus came into the future to send his son to redeem the world. A lot of people have made an effort, a lot of theologians and biblical scholars have made an effort to trace the theme that runs through all of Scripture, that brings it all together. And after, after a lot of research, after a lot of reading, uh, the consensus is that theme that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation is the promised plan of God for the redemption of the world. It's an amazing thing. The Bible, with all of its books, has one theme that runs through all of its pages. It's staggering. Let's, let's think about the Bible for just a moment. The Bible that we have, this Bible was written over a 1,500-year period of time. 1,500 years. It contains 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, and uh, 27 in the New Testament. And the Bible tells us itself in Second Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible in its entirety from beginning to end, over 40 different authors, and all of these guys were, had different walks of life. Uh, some of them were shepherds, some of them were farmers, tent makers, doctors, priests, kings, prophets. It's amazing. All these people from all these different walks of life, in all these different time periods, were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, the, the books that make up the Bible. And there's a consistent theme that runs through all of the books, the promised plan of salvation and redemption through Jesus Christ. It's really remarkable. The scriptures are uh, full of this promise plan, and there is no way we can address every aspect of it in an Advent series. There are 44 prophecies in the Bible that are fulfilled directly in Jesus Christ. 44 prophecies. Uh, if you look into it, it, it will cause you to worship. There are also 310 other shadows and images that point to Christ in the Old Testament. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Lots of times, you're familiar with this, during Easter and during Christmas time, specials come on television about the Bible and Jesus. You've seen this, right? Or there's articles. And you have these experts that have more degrees than a thermometer, you know, sharing uh, on, on a topic like the Bible's terrible secret, you know, um, written by druids in a cave or something, uh, discovering the real Jesus, you know, or Jesus's, you know, 100 children or some something something nutso like this, and these experts basically nitpick on something very small that is actually usually easily resolved, and overlook the fact that this Bible, which is written over 1500 years by 40 different authors, is has a unifying a unity to it that is miraculous. It really is. And so I always watch those specials, especially when I was in seminary and we were doing biblical theology. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Uh, this is such a nitpicky thing. Uh, but, but, you know, it gets the views, I guess. The Bible is an amazing book. If you're, more, if you're interested in looking at how the Bible talks about the promised plan of Jesus from the Old Testament to the New Testament, talk to me. I have resources. Uh, today we're just going to scratch the surface of this topic. And we're going to look at the, the initial promise of God to send Christ from Genesis. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand and Usher will bring you, bring you one. We're going to do an Olympic Bible flipping challenge. There's going to be a lot of scripture we're looking at. You're welcome to simply listen and, uh, and take it all in. Or, or if you really want to challenge yourself and have your own personal Bible drill, you, you can do that too. Before we get into uh, the reading and the sermon, I'd like to ask that you pray for me. I've been praying that the word this week would be powerful in our lives and I've done preparation and and sought the Lord uh, for this series and I really feel that it's not a matter of words but of power. Of of God's word indwelling the the preached word and illuminating the written word and giving us a word from God. So if you could pray for me this morning as I share with you, I'd really appreciate that. Just pray silently and I'll close us out. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the prayers of the saints, my brothers and sisters here for this uh, sermon. I do surrender it to you, God. I pray that you would teach us through it, that you'd build our faith, that you'd build our expectation, and that you'd grow us deeper in our relationship with you through it, Lord, that we might be equipped for every good work uh, that you have for us to do in this world. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point that really needs to be made when looking at this idea of Advent or Jesus coming is that Advent was not Jesus' first appearance in history at all. Where did we first see Jesus in the Bible is the question. Is that? Anyone? In the beginning. So we turn to Genesis 1, 1 to 3. You see, you've already heard this sermon in the, with the kids By design. It says in the beginning, Genesis one one, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty; darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. God saw that the light was good. In the beginning, God spoke and began to do the work of creation, hovering over the empty, the emptiness, and bringing forth life, as we saw in the children's story. There's a parallel passage to this in John 1, 1 to 5. Listen to this. In the beginning, sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word, capital W. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And Going to verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was with God in the beginning. Jesus was the word of God that spoke creation into existence. Jesus was the light that came into the world. When God said, let there be light, uh, the the parallel to the John passage is, is really awesome. And, uh, and it's saying in the John passage, Jesus is the light of the world. So when the Bible says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, this is where we're talking about the advent of the child, Jesus, of the Christ child. Uh, I'm very, I think it's very important that we remember that Jesus and God are one. I think it's very important, because otherwise, uh, we begin to feel like, especially when Easter rolls around, that God sent Jesus... You know, basically, God subletted the task of salvation to Jesus, but God himself died for our sins. Jesus is God. I'm fond of talking about Jesus and the Trinity as being God's second self, and the Holy Spirit as God's third self. This is something I steal from N.T. Wright. I think it's a great way to think about Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. The world was created through him. And when the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us, that's when we're talking about the Christ child in the manger. So far, so far, we've we've seen uh, God's promised plan. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Jesus made a physical appearance as a baby, uh, God in the flesh, in Christ over two thousand years ago in Bethlehem. So, moving on to Genesis three, or rather, moving back to Genesis three fifteen, we read the same story we read with the kids. This is uh, Genesis three fourteen and fifteen. And this is, the setup for this is, of course, Satan is disguised as a serpent. He comes up to the woman and tempts her to eat this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it looks good to her. It's pleasing to the eye. She eats it. She gives some to her husband. He eats it. And sin enters the world. They're deceived. God's good creation, as we read, comes under the curse of sin due to disobedience. Disobedience. The thing I want to note in uh, Genesis 3:14 and 15 is the, the curse that is put on uh, the snake for his part in this whole thing. And I encourage you to go back and read this whole passage if you have not, if you're not familiar with it, to see what it actually says to, to Adam and Eve and everything. But for our purposes today, in looking at God's promise plan, this is the initial uh, appearance of God's promise, which is amazing. Uh, Genesis 3:14. So the Lord God said to the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Take note of what God says, God says to the serpent here. I will put enmity. A synonym for that is hostility. There will be hostility between uh, you and... And the woman, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So there's a promise of hostility between a woman's offspring and the offspring of the evil one. Following me, uh, and also a promise of the defeat of Satan. Here it says, "Crush your head." That seems to be a pretty final thing. If you you know, that seems like a pretty final, uh, pretty final moment in someone in someone's existence. Uh, he will crush your head. There's that plan. So we have all of that, and then we flip to Matthew one eighteen to twenty three. And the, and, the, and the passage is quoted as saying, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel. So the culminating off- expression of the offspring of Eve is when Mary conceives of Jesus. This is, think, think back to Genesis 3.15. There will, be, there will be hostility and enmity between your offspring and hers. The culmination of the offspring of Eve is really Jesus Christ. And we know this because in, uh, in Genesis 3.15, it says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And then, you know, think about what Jesus did on the cross. It's very clear this is talking about Christ. And then written before, the, in Isaiah 7.14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel. So the, the commentary that we look at to kind of decode this is found in Galatians 4, 4-5. It says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. You know, this is this is like an echo backwards of that promise from Genesis three fifteen. This is what I'm trying to show you. It's amazing to see the consistency of Scripture from Genesis to Isaiah. To, to then the Gospels, and then back in Galatians, looking back. It's amazing, the promise of God consistently through the Old Testament. Um, and, in, and at the end of Jesus' earthly life, when he was crucified on that cross, surely it could be said that Jesus' bruised, was, his heel was bruised by Satan, absolutely. But when Jesus rose from the dead after his resurrection, after three days in the, in the ground, it can definitely be said that Jesus, that Jesus crushed the head of the enemy Satan and threw him into a death spiral, which we are now experiencing in the world that we live in currently. We're living in this age between the time of the advent of Jesus and, the resur- more importantly, the resurrection, when Jesus de- dealt this death blow to Satan, and the end of time when Jesus will come back and culminate the, his, his salvific work in the world. We're living in exciting times. Right now, we are living between Jesus and between Jesus. Those are two good things to be between. That's a good sandwich. Um... <laughs> but seriously, it, it's an exciting time to live in. As I thought about it this week, Colossians two thirteen to fifteen. This is one of my very favorites. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. If you struggle. To understand how to have peace with God, go back and read that passage to yourself later and, and pray about it. Uh, it's saying, he forgave all of our sins, he nailed them to the cross of Christ. And then it has this really epic uh, thing to say in verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus was the offspring of the virgin woman promised in Genesis 3.15 promised in Isaiah 7, 14. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And at the age of 33, which is just a year older than me, he was, after being stalked and tempted by Satan, uh, through his whole life, uh, he, it seemed that Satan had had victory on Jesus. In fact, I think that the evil uh, powers in the world We're all celebrating when Jesus died at the cross because they thought, this is the end of Jesus. This is the end of God's plan for redemption of his people. But it turns out that the, the bruise that Jesus had on his heel took about three days to heal. No pun intended. That bruise faded in three days. This is poetic language I'm using. And Jesus rose from the dead. And what it says in Colossians is that he disarmed, he made a public spectacle of Satan and all of the people that are either consciously or unwittingly under Satan's power in the kingdom of this world. You know, Satan is called the ruler of the kingdom of the air in the Bible. So this world system in which we live uh, crucified Jesus, you know? And, uh, and, and Jesus triumphed over them by the cross. So what appeared to be Jesus' head being crushed, it got flipped in a major way. And Jesus crushed Satan's head when he rose from the dead. Um, and we are, we are living in this time where we're waiting for the coming king, Jesus Christ, to come back. And until the time that he does come back, Satan is in his death throes. This is just a joke. Satan has been defeated at the cross and disarmed. He's been defeated and disarmed. This is the Advent sermon you were hoping for. Satan's been defeated and disarmed, and he is defeated. It's only a matter of time before his work is complete. But everything that we see in the world on the news... All the way from the news into our own dark hearts, which we're more reluctant to look into deeply. All that sin, all that darkness, all that pain, uh, Jesus is coming to set that right. But he, is not, uh, he has not left us alone until the time when He comes back. He's not left us alone. God has a purpose. If God, if God wanted to snap and fix the sin problem in the world, He would have done it by now. But God has a purpose in leaving us. And this is something I discovered. As I was studying the scriptures for this sermon, it's not something I've read anywhere else, so I really hope it's orthodox. Um, I, I know it's Orthodox, but Romans 16, uh, 19. this is another allusion to the Genesis 3:15 passage that blew my mind this week. It says, "Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil." So Paul is saying, "You're doing quite well. We've heard good reports. But I want you to, to stay alert, be wise about what is good, be innocent about what is evil. And then it says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is a really interesting verse. I've never really read it this way in the context of Genesis 315. But God has not left us alone. God actually has a plan before he culminates history when he returns. God has a plan for his children to be innocent of what is good, of what is evil, and to be experts on what is good. In other words, following God wholeheartedly. And and God desires that his children, the church, crush Satan underneath their feet. Actually, actually it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. So this is God's work through us. And it's really interesting, because it doesn't sound... This is all poetic language, right? Um, The God of peace will crush Satan's head. That's a very... You know, those, those seem like really contrasting images. But the truth is that uh, the, humble, the humble birth of Jesus and, and the and the death, the humility of Christ, which you see in Philippians 2, they emptied himself and went to the cross and died for our sins. And then he tells us, this is my command, love one another. And he tells us, um, we don't do battle as the world does. We're battling against powers and principalities of darkness. We don't use weapons that the world uses. We use spiritual weapons. You know, th- this, this is... Uh, this is something really remarkable. I think that God, until the time that, he, that Jesus comes back, desires that his children be, be excellent about what is good and innocent of evil. And as they walk in this kind of way, God will crush Satan underneath their feet. We will see evidence of the kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated but not completely fulfilled in our lifetime as we pray, as we seek after God, as we become a discerning people, and as we walk by the Spirit. Paul says, therefore, walk by the Spirit. Had nothing to do with darkness. But if you walk by the Spirit, um, if you put to death the deeds of the body, of the flesh, you will live. It's saying grow in character, grow in your relationship with Christ, grow in prayer, grow in knowledge of what, what is good to God, and be innocent of what, of what is evil, clearly evil, and God will do amazing victories. So sometimes we pray for people who are sick. And because Jesus has, because through his, through his wounds we are healed, sometimes when we pray for someone, The kingdom come where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no death, no crying, no suffering, no more pain because the former things have passed away. The kingdom come where the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God. It breaks into the present moment in which we live in this time between Jesus' advent and resurrection and the time that Jesus comes back and his kingdom comes in our lives. That's why we pray in this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we walk in this discernment, in this deepness of the spirit with God, God himself will, cr- will crush Satan's head through the feet of his children. This is, an ama- this is just an amazing thing. We live in an exciting time. We live in an exciting time, and, uh, and we really need to wake up to that fact and become a people that is connected to the vine. Apart from him, we can do nothing, um, it, it, Jesus says. So to, summa- to, to summarize kind of this whole thing, and I, I kind of put down some points because this has been quite, quite a, a survey of scripture here. The promised plan of God to redeem all of humanity through Jesus Christ is found throughout Scripture from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus, it says, was crucified before the foundations of the world. Jesus, uh, this plan that God had, was from the beginning. Jesus existed with God in the beginning and was the powerful word word God used to speak creation into existence. God promised in Genesis 3.15 and Isaiah 7.14, both... You know, between 700 and thousands of years before Jesus came, uh, that the Savior would be born of a virgin, that he would crush Satan's head, that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. God fulfilled his promise at the advent of the Christ child in Matthew 1.20, explained in Galatians 4. Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, as had been prophesied throughout the Old Testament, and after a lifetime of being, being tempted and basically stalked by the enemy and the people that were following the enemy, Uh, they seem to have overcome him, and he died. Uh, Jesus died. But when he rose again, it it was revealed that it wasn't Jesus who had died. It wasn't Jesus whose head was crushed. His his heel was only bruised. He crushed the head of the enemy when he was born. And we see this fulfillment of the promise God made to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3.15. And this leaves us in this in-between period in which we currently live, between the advent and resurrection of Christ and Jesus' second coming, and as we await Jesus' return, Jesus exerts his rule and authority in the world as God's children who have been redeemed by God's promise plan continue to be wise about what is good and innocent of evil and pray that God would crush Satan and his work underneath their feet as they walk through the life. This calls for a deepening of our relationship with Jesus. This calls for a deepening of our, our walk with Christ, uh, becoming a deeper people of prayer, uh, that we might be used of God, you know, it's 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 such a proactive thing to be, to be, um, to to be aware of what is good. To search the scriptures, God, what is it that's good from your perspective? And then when you have a situation in your life, what's good in this situation? What's evil? How do I discern between the two? Becoming someone who is single-mindedly walking according to the Spirit, God's going to use you to do amazing things. In this interim time, you will pray for sick people. Sometimes they will be healed. Uh, you will you will be a peacemaker in different different circumstances. You will. You will rise up, and this grassroots move of God in the world between the time Jesus resurrected and the time that Jesus comes back will become not only a mustard seed, but a a tree grows from that mustard seed, which is the largest of the trees, and it becomes a home for many birds. This is the dream of God for the world. Um, God has had a dream like that uh, from the beginning. If he didn't, then he would have taken care of everything already. God desires his children to be a part of this dream. And we, we in this church are the first fruits of God's promise plan. Um, and Jesus will continue to use us in, in many different ways. The God of peace will use us to crush underfoot the work of the enemy and to make way a path for Jesus in this world. That's what it's all about. So I'd like to, like to spend a moment in prayer and then dismiss you to pick up your children and we're going to assemble back here in 10 minutes. But please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm in awe, I'm overwhelmed by, by the promise that you, uh, you made and, and, and was prophesied about throughout the Old Testament and then was fulfilled in Jesus. It's staggering to me. It makes my heart worship to see what you've done, Lord. I pray that we would be a people who are sensitive to your Spirit, that, that walk in the light, that prepare a way for the Lord in our lives and in, in our church community. Um, that love the world well and spread the light of Christ well, that are excellent in what is good and innocent of in what is evil, that you might crush Satan underneath our feet as we walk forward, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. We pray that you would wipe away every tear from this world 's eye, Lord, and we pray that you would come um, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we do await your return with eager anticipation, but not with resignation. Um, we await your return actively. Um, by seeking out what is good, being innocent of evil, and, and seeing your work in our lives as we walk in this world. So I just pray your spirit would fill us, that we would become a peculiar people who belong to you, who call forth the praises of him who called us out of the darkness into the light of Christ. pray all of this in Jesus' name.